Hey, it's Jenny Holbert, and you're listening to episode number 33. Welcome to the Wild Wellness Podcast, where wild stands for women into living their dreams. Everything I share with you blends my expertise in fitness, the mind-body connection, and natural health using essential oils to help you create a healthy, nature-inspired life and feel wild from the inside out. Consider this the place where your souls and your soul meet for an adventure, because I believe when wild women wake, mountains will move. In this episode, you get to hear from a very special guest. Alexa Sherm is a nutritionist, mom, wife, and business owner. Her mission is to spread the word about honest, realistic, and most importantly, delicious lifestyle changes. She's a firm believer that real health can be exciting, delicious, fun, and not as complex as we make it. As a mom to three girls, she knows all about making healthy choices on the go and incorporating health into all areas of life. She is helping people create a new health lifestyle through habit formation and real food. Alexa, welcome to the Wild Wellness Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. We are going to have a fun conversation, so let's dive right in. I would love for you to start out by sharing your nutrition philosophy and maybe how it's a little different than some other mainstream advice. Yeah, well, I mean, my nutrition philosophy has evolved over time. I went to very conventional nutrition school. And so we learned, you know, food pyramid style stuff. Um, and it really just didn't make a lot of sense to me. It didn't add up. That's what I, I shouldn't say didn't like make a lot of sense. It wasn't all adding up what we were teaching and how we were learning, um, to tell other people to eat. And so over the course of years, I've really evolved my eating style to just kind of go back to the basics, like in a realistic fashion that we could actually do for the rest of our lives because I think we're doing such a disservice to so many people by teaching them about diets. And, um, and I don't want to say a disservice about that, but like just ha- watching people go on endless amounts of diets and just watching their life be so strapped to health. When I really believe that health was not something that we had, a, we have to live for, but something that we use to like fully live, you know, like it's a, mm-hmm. it's a tool that we get to use. It's not the end all be all. Um, and so really trying to break free from the world of dieting and really kind of dive into what is your body? How does it work? And what does it need? Because I think we're all individuals and we all have a unique set of requirements. And so I really just like to break it down to help teach people like the whole body connection to really like zoom out on it, see the big picture and how we can make realistic changes. Because I really believe our body wants to be healthy at the end of the day, more than we even give it credit for. You know, like it's not the villain of the story. And if we just learn to work with it, I think a lot, a lot of things can change. Definitely. Would there be one question you think listeners could ask themselves or any number of questions if you were just starting out and you're really confused about what to eat and how much to eat and when to eat and just all of the conflicting advice, what would be a question or a tip that you would give them to get on the right track? I mean, I know you just shared that it's very individualized, but is there something they can ask within that that would help them discover what's right for me in this sense, even if it's down to a specific meal? Yeah, I think the first thing, I mean, I really, in my advice, I usually look more at the how and the um, when of eating rarely, or I don't want to say rarely, but the last thing that we get into is the what. And I think we put so much emphasis on what we should be doing, what we should be eating, that we miss that the timing and our mindset around those things are probably the most 
important factors in determining how your body uses the food and the energy sources that we're consuming and that we already have going on in our body. Um, but to like really get the ball rolling on this, I really like to have people ask themselves, how do I feel? Um, because I think that we have generalized ideas about how we feel and we have ideas about how we should look, but I think without us knowing really at our core what it is that we're seeking, like what is it that we really want and really feel right now? Because like, I think there's an interesting question that I got asked not long ago, like do people just want to lose weight? This is just an example. Like just want to lose weight to get a different number on the scale or do people really want to lose weight to get healthy? And I think there's two different things, right? Because some people are already at a healthy weight and they still want to lose weight. And I think that we, we miss this by living to so many worldly standards of what health looks like instead of really tapping into, you know, what does health look like for you? Um, and so we have to know where we are, where we stand, and then just like the daily awareness. So like I like to see people after every meal write down how did it make you feel because I think we even miss that there's a connection to the foods that we eat and how our body feels and even good, real, wholesome foods can still make people not feel well um, and it's just dependent upon the person and so really trying to every day tap back into how do I feel, like constantly asking yourself that. That's awesome advice. I love it, especially the very specific practical way to just if you were to do one thing you know, in that direction for someone to say, how do I feel after? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Kind of on that note that you were just sharing about, you know, if someone's wanting to lose weight or they're on a diet for women in particular who have been on different restrictive diets for much of their life or in the past at all, what would be something that you would want them to know? Um, I think one that whatever weight you're at right now does not have to be the end of your story. Like I think that we can change our weight in a healthy way, but I also want them to know that following, like there's, I think you get so caught up into like the latest fad diet and we see it work for people. And then when it doesn't work for us, it's like devastating, right? Like what is wrong with me that I can't lose weight? And so it becomes like this big picture idea becomes a very personal problem. Um, and it was really never intended to be that way. Um, and really, like, if we just go back to dieting, there's never been a diet in the history of the world that has worked for everyone, right? Like, I mean, they're just working for a small population, like, percentage of the population. If there were, like, that person would be a multi-billionaire and probably have a Nobel Peace Prize, right? Right. Uh, but I think if, you know, if you've been a yo-yo dieter, I think you really just have to like step back and again, start to understand our body and what it means. And I just released a podcast actually about this, about the weight, weight set point that we all have a weight that our body is naturally inclined to be at. And over time with different circumstances, whether it's illness or whether it's a lack of trust by our body. And that's what a lot of diets and restrictions do is they just cause this lack of trust. Like our bodies and job is to keep us alive, right? And generally what that means is to conserve. So if our body gets into a place where it's threatened, whether it's a virus or an injury, or it's a different kind of diet you've gone on, too much exercise, like whenever we stress our body beyond what it can handle, it goes into conserve mode. And that means we lower our metabolism and we conserve more energy and we probably, um, 
store more body fat and we're not as likely to break it down, right? So we have all these things happening. And so I think if you've been a yo-yo dieter, I think the best thing that you can do is start to understand how can you work with your body? Like how can you provide a safe environment? Because our bodies will not get healthy if it feels threatened, even though like that's what it wants. Like the main job is to keep your body alive um, and survival is more important than thriving. Um, however, it does like to thrive. But I think, again, it goes back to like, yes, you can change your weight set point. So if wherever you are, if it seems impossible to leave that number, even if you lose weight, generally you'll always come back to that weight. There are certain ways to actually lower your set point. So it can happen. Um, but it has to happen in a way of like preventing metabolic compensation. Really, again, it just all boils back to me. To me, it all boils down to listening to your body. I beat around the bush on that question, but <laughs> there it is. <laughs> no, that, that's, a, that's a great way to come to it because you'll get all of your thoughts and that's what we're wanting. So that's perfect. <laughs> it makes me think about in going back to what's good for your body and tuning into that. I, you know, having a history with an eating disorder and being on that dieting kind of cycle in my teens and early twenties and just really being obsessed over that because of the culture and because of my influences in my upbringing and that sort of thing. It reminds me of that a lot because what really helped me come out of it was actually, I think tuning in, but it was actually tuning into just the natural world around me and realizing that my food philosophy was based in a nature inspired way of eating and if it's real food, like keep it simple, you know, just mm -hmm. get away. I think I was really confused at that time by the packages and the ingredients and the, right. the labels of the grams and the calories and all of that. And I just started understanding food labels a lot better and realizing that like, hey, this can be simple. Just eat something that's as close to nature as possible. And, you know, mm -hmm. these ingredients that are in things are not helpful to your body anymore. You don't have to even label them bad. It's just that they're not providing the kind of nutrients that you want and the kind of lifestyle that you're that you're wanting it doesn't match up so it, when it didn't match up then it was really easy for me to get away from that then in terms of the diets and just even being in that mindset at least for me that it seemed like a, a very, right it wasn't a quick switch I look back and I feel like it was but I know it wasn't quick at the time it just that was definitely the catalyst that really set it into motion so right. I think your philosophy about what you believe about food probably has a lot to play into it. And that, that does sometimes come from tuning into your body. At least I think that's right. what the connection was for me. Right, right, for sure. And like you said, it's kind of the snowball effect. You know, like once you start kind of getting the hang of this, because it is so natural for us to live this way, like in this natural state of simplification, that it just kind of snowballs on itself. And so it does seem on the other side, maybe like a faster journey than when you obviously initially start out because anything's difficult right away. But yeah. Yes. And we can link to that episode that you mentioned that you just did on body weight set point. Was that the yeah. one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That'll be in the show notes for anyone who's wanting to dive into that more. So I know you're a mom and also obviously a nutritionist and you run a business. So as a parent and someone who is raising kids to eat healthy and someone who's listening who might be on that same mission, what advice would you have to offer there in general? 
think it just kind of goes along with my life is like, like you said, don't overcomplicate it. And I think mealtime is such an easy place to overcomplicate, especially if you're wanting to transition into a healthier lifestyle. And I think that there's a huge hangup when it's so different from the life that you're used to. And then you try to make too many big changes at once. So like you said, just don't overcomplicate it. Make simple adjustments to your every day. And to me, food battles are just not battles that I'm willing to fight. Like I think there's enough fight that we have going on between how we raise our kids and I, and maybe fights the wrong word, but you know, like there's so many battles that we face every single day. To me, the food fight that so many parents play where you have to finish your plate and you have to eat all these vegetables and, and like these just specific food rules, I think it's doing more of a disservice to our kids than we even begin to realize. And also it's doing a disservice to us because it makes mealtime something that you really dread. And, and I understand that very, very closely. Like I, I get that. Like the worst thing in the world is to make dinner and have no one eat it. Right. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the more that we force our kids into a box, of what we think health should be, the more or the less likely they are to actually listen to their natural and tuned properties that they were born with. And so I go with the philosophy as better left alone. And of course, that means I'm ultimately controlling what comes in our house. But outside of that, I really don't get too worked up about what my kids are eating. Again, I think one of the best things that we can do for our kids is not so strictly regulate what they're eating, but help them to be in tune to what they are feeling, even when they eat something that maybe you wouldn't want them to eat. Like I know when my, like, you know, when my kids go to birthday parties, it's like, oh my gosh, like they're just load up on candy and all this stuff that maybe we don't get very often here. Um, but the more I obsess about that, of course, the more that they're going to become obsessed about it. And oftentimes because food is one of the first independent skills a child learns, it's also then becomes one of the first battles that they can fight because they want independence in eating. Everyone does. Um, and so, like I said, if left to their own devices within reason, they tend to eat whatever their body needs because they're so in tuned. They won't overeat because again, they're so in tuned. Like they don't have these standards that we've placed on humans that it has to be a certain way, right? Like they just have their natural in tuned hunger principles and hormones flowing that it works. So when they go to birthday parties, rather than saying like, don't eat this and don't have that, like we just talk about it. Like, Hey, there's going to be a lot of options. Maybe it would be a good idea to eat something before you go. So you're kind of full. If you want to have it, that's fine. But just remember how it makes you feel like really, like if I see them, you know, having a tummy ache after they binge on Halloween candy, right? Like, let's talk about that. Like not talk about how, um, it was awful that they ate that, but like talk about the the reality that food is having an impact on how we feel. And I think there's such a disconnect, even in adults, that we can't rationalize. Maybe it was that meal that made me not have energy in the afternoon, you know, like that gave me all these cravings. And so I really go out of the approach of like, let's talk about food and what it's doing in our body and really be informed about why eating healthy matters. And then kind of let them like take a step back and let them make their decisions. So even at dinner time, like it's never, uh, you never have to eat. Like if you don't want to eat, you don't eat. Now, granted, it doesn't mean you can graze all day, right? Like there's time requirements. Cause like I said, I'm more of a stickler on when we eat and how we eat rather than what we eat. Um, but yeah, I do let them make a lot of their own independent decisions because I think that there's so many other battles that are more worthy of fighting than that. And I think that kids really mimic parents. And so if they see parents being open to trying new foods and not being scared of food and 
not weighing food, you know, like it just becomes something that's supposed to bring a lot of happiness and a lot of joy to people's lives, not this overall battle that we see so many people having. Yes. Wow. That's so insightful. I love that you talked about that contrast between kind of the battle that you could have with a child or anybody about thinking about, oh, that's, that's a bad thing to do versus, well, how does that make you feel? And just reflecting on it that way. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I playing the other side of the fence here, I'm just going to throw it out there because I don't know if anyone might be thinking this or if you've ever had this question before. But if when you're talking about letting them tune into what they want, what if because of their outside influences of having birthday cake at a party or having, you know, Halloween candy here and there, they're tuned into the sugar fix and uh-huh. they don't know what sugar tastes like. And that's an addictive thing for our humans. So right. they're sort of drawn to that. So have you ever come across that then when you're, you know, allowing them to tune into what they want to eat and run into like, well, I don't want to eat this vegetable. I'd rather have a piece of candy and what right. the solution yeah. there, what your practical advice would be in that case. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, um, I have my middle daughter. She is obsessed with candy. I mean, like chocoholic to the core, like loves it. And so what we do again, it's a con like to me, I control what I control at home. Like that's what I worry about. And so what we bring into the house matters right outside of the house. Like when they go to grandma and grandpa, it's like, it's kind of free game, but we do talk about, and like at home, like if you love, you know, like if you want these fruit snacks or, you know, like I don't deprive my kids of things like Halloween candy, right. We might have it for a couple of days, but I always try to talk to them. Like maybe we have this after our meal, you know, like let's eat, fill up on good food and then let's have it. Mm-hmm. And so like, again, trying to teach them more about the win of eating um, and why that matters rather than just like, yes and no. Um, now don't get me wrong. There's times when they'll come home with candy in their bag and they'll have some candy. Again, I try not to make such a huge deal about it because I, I think like any adult, right? The more that we pressure the restriction of it, the more that they're going to want it. Like, you know, like if someone told me I can't have a piece of cake, then of course I want the piece of cake, right? Like every person is like that. Like as soon as we're all rebellious at heart. And so as soon as someone tells us we can't have something, then eventually we're going to give into that. But if you can just develop yourself in a state of like really changing your preferences and like really changing your view of food and why I'm such uh, like have such a passion for the mindset about food and how we eat, I think then it becomes less about a craving and less about like the addictive property and more about like, do I desire or do I not? Um, And I know that like seems weird, but it's really it's really cool that kids can really transform into this very quickly. Of course, like my kids will cry for candy, like anyone else is, but if it's not there and they know it's not there, then there's really no option, right? Like it's not like a battle anymore because it's like, well, it's not here. We don't have any. Um, I don't know if I'm answering this question very well, but I think like anyone, I think it's, it's, it's there. Like this is a very real part of society. And so rather than trying to have this, like, no, we can't have any of that. Like, how can we, create this realistic lifestyle for them that works. And I think that, again, looks different for every family. For me, it tends to look like, hey, there are going to be trees at school and at the birthday party, and that's fine. Um, But even like after school, you know, if they have a piece of candy, I always ask like, what can we add to that? Like, what else could you have with that? Because that's probably not going to fill you up. So rather than focusing on that, like I try to focus on the, the positive. Like the health. Yeah. So interesting. So helpful. You answered yeah. perfectly with some practical tips. I feel right. like 
I just want to highlight what you said about being uh, kids often reflecting what their parents' beliefs are about food mm -hmm. or what their parents' habits are about food, because I think that's an interesting place for someone to start. I'm, I'm guessing that no children are going to be listening to this episode. It's going right. to be a parent or a future parent. So it's something to think about in terms of basically you leading yourself first before trying to... Yeah someone else. Which and there's interesting data like coming out about um, what kids naturally crave when they're born based on what the female ate while she was pregnant. Really? Like there's fascinating mm -hmm. studies and even breastfeeding, like they tend to have more preferences based on what you had during those times. They, they might think that that's one of the biggest indicators in like how a child picks their foods and if they're picky or not picky. I mean, there's a lot of really great data coming out about it. And I think it's really an interesting thing that we really as parents have control even before conception um, based on our kids' food preferences. But I also think it's important to note that like a, a body, every child is going to have different taste preferences. And so who are we to say as adults that maybe they really genuinely don't like that? Like I always give the example of cilantro. You either have people who love cilantro or hate cilantro. And like anything, it's all a chemical reaction that's happening in the mouth. And so to some people, cilantro tastes like soap. So I've heard, I love cilantro, so I don't know, but like it can give a very soapy taste. And in some kids, like especially in little boys, sometimes they'll have more of a metallic taste just due to a different hormonal flow. And so who are we to say, even though it tastes really good to us, we don't know what it's coming across like to them. And their taste buds are way more sensitive than adults. So their taste are like extremely intense. Like why most kids wouldn't eat a raw onion, but as adults, you know, that, that kind of the, the bite of that kind of diminishes. So I think it's, it's important too, to note that we're not all the same and we all have different food preferences anyways. And so like just honoring the food aspect, I think is really important. Respecting that. I think we've lost respect as like for food as a culture. That's, That's a whole different podcast, but it, it, it kind of, yeah. It's <laughs> so interesting though, because like it kind of goes back to what I was thinking myself and sharing in the beginning about how I came to basically heal from having an eating disorder. It was kind of coming back to that respect of what food is and where it comes from in a true sense instead of in the, the packaged mm -hmm. modern sense. But I mean, it all ties in with having a better relationship with food and that's actually something I'm curious to know, just because I know you work with so many people and help so many people with food through nutrition and through their relationship with, you know, their, their mindful eating. What's, mm -hmm. what's a simple change that you could offer someone listening to start today to better their relationship with food? Something they could do. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that we can start doing today is again, to start honoring our body and it's, that's hunger and fullness signals and like those biofeedback signals that we ha constantly have going on. And so I think if we step away from like the food requirements that we've placed on ourselves and really just start to eat for health, I think we can start to transform our mindset about like, okay, this food is no longer bad because it has so many calories, but this food makes me feel good. So it must be nourishing. So kind of, again, changing the way that we look at food and when we sit down to with food, like really enjoy it to eat for enjoyment and pleasure, not just to lose weight or for diet restriction. I think too, just sitting down with food, <laughs> that sounds crazy, 
But it's, I see a lot of my clients who never sit down for a meal. Like even at dinner time, like they're trying to feed their kids. And so they're just eating as they're feeding their kids. And like, I think things change when we sit down. Like, I think there was a purpose, like in all of history, why people sat down at the dinner table. Like, yes, I mean, that's been studied and, and, um, I mean, we can look at the, the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system and like how we digest food. Like there is a true importance to sitting down to eat your meals people used to put a lot more on that than we do now. Like that used to be like dinner as a family was a thing for centuries. Right. And we kind of lost that with this busy culture that we live in. And I think getting that back. And I think without like really sitting down to deal with food, you're never going to get over food. I 100% agree. And I'm working on that one. I feel like yeah, it's tough on, with three little it. girls. I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah, it's you always Yeah, I often am sort of like either prepping and then eating and then cleaning up and it's all happening while I'm taking the food in or, mm-hmm. you know, I'll be yeah, just doing a little bit of something else. But I'm much more aware of it now than I used to be. And at least yeah. at least I the get- awareness is there. I don't always get it perfect. But it's right. And I'm definitely paying attention to because I agree with you. I know that my food digests better and I'm getting more nourishment from it by sitting down and eating it. Yeah. I argue with some of my clients that they should just not eat if they can't sit down to eat it. Mm. Um, And that's like a really hard thing, but it shows the importance of what sitting down to eat your meal can do. Because I think that there's like a lot more research coming up, coming out about eating in sympathetic mode and how dangerous it is for like even the gut microbiome. Um, and when we see my gut microbiome studies, like they're crazy with all these different um, diseases and inflammation and other things happening inside our body. And so if one of the biggest indicators of gut microbiome is the difference between parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system, like how can we not sit down to eat? Like we have to make time for it because if we don't make time for it, it's going to catch back up with us. So I will tell clients that, and I'm never about restriction or deprivation, but, and I even give myself this rule, like plan meals when I can actually sit down and eat them. Like even at lunch, like I am never too busy not to sit down for 15 minutes to have lunch, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think we think we're busy, but there's always time to do that. And it really does change your hunger and your cravings and um, how you store and how much energy you have. Like big, big things can change just by sitting down. Just by the simple Mm -hmm. act. Yeah. It's so simple and just needs practice. Right. Yeah. Really reminds me of what you have on your website. Actually, these wise words, you say what we think or what we know or what we believe is in the end of little consequence. The only consequence is what we do. Mm. Is there anything Mm -hmm. else that you have thoughts on around that? I mean, I think we all have good intentions and I think it really just boils down to where are we going to take action? Um, And I think where we take action has to be Um, And that's why I really struggle with like diets. I think they can be really great foundation, but I think that we have to be willing to look at ourselves and to look at our lifestyle and recognize what is working and what isn't working. And that's why I go back to the question of like, just ask, like, how do you feel? Like ask yourself that all day long, because once you start to recognize, like maybe if I don't feel good, you can start to connect the dots, but without even understanding how you feel or what you're thinking, it's hard to hold any of that captive and set it against what reality is. Like we create so many false beliefs that are constantly happening. And I think it's just setting it against the truth of who we are, what we believe, how we feel. And ultimately that can change what we do. Yes. Then that'll give you clarity on the action steps. It sounds like. Yeah. Is there anything else that you haven't shared in the context of what we're talking about, obviously, because there's probably a lot (laughs) there that you'd like the listeners to hear. 
I mean, man, we shared a lot. There's so much other stuff though. But um, again, I think to you, just bringing up the question of like, you know, what would change if we focused more on the when and the how of eating rather than the what? Um, and so taking our mindset and flipping it from, to the what, because we know that all of the emotion to food has to do with the what, you know, like the food itself is driving the emotion. But if we can start to transform how you eat and when you eat, there's no emotion holding that. So those changes come a lot more naturally and they're more likely to stick than automatically going for food changes. So that's my thing is like focusing on like when you eat. And by that, I mean like what times of the day are you eating? How often are you eating? Like all of those things, not worried about what you're eating, but like the when and then the how, like I said, are you sitting down to eat? How's your mindset when you're eating? Are you really stressed? Like really focusing on those two things, because again, they don't hold the emotion that food does are so much easier to make changes and see bigger benefits because it goes back into um, the entire picture of how we metabolize food, which starts with our mindset um, and also the hormonal flow when you bring in the win. So I always like people to focus on that. Like, I mean, we go with my clients, I go through months of training through those two things alone before we ever start making changes to what they're actually eating. And what's interesting is when people start to change the when and the how, they often change the what without even knowing it. So by that, I mean, like, it's easy, like, on the go to grab snacks of, like, carbs and chips and crackers and all this stuff, right? And, like, just to binge on easy, quick finger food, it's a lot harder to binge on things that you have to cut and eat with a fork, right? Yes. <laughs> and so... It really does. Like when, when you don't even talk about what you're eating, we really see a huge change in the what without them even knowing it and actually then enjoying that so much more. Because like I said, even if you don't like something, if I automatically tell you you shouldn't have it, you can become obsessed with it just because of that restriction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and the drive for willpower, which are just such false beliefs. Um, but yeah, so I like to focus on the when and the what. So like to give you an example, I always think that like, here's one quick actionable step is to do um, time restricted eating. Some people call it intermittent fasting, but basically it's allowing a full 12 hours at night for your body to rest in the absence of any food. So like if you eat breakfast at 7am, you have to be fully finished eating by 7pm, like nothing afterwards, except like water, right? Um, but that's such a huge thing on your hormones and your sleep cycles and your circadian rhythm, which change the way that you eat the next day, right? And what you crave. Cause we all know if we had a bad night's sleep, we crave all the sugar and all the things and we have no energy, right? But if we can sleep deeper and we can reset our hormones, then will it automatically change our cravings? Like absolutely. But one of the best ways to do that again is to do time restricted eating. Like we can't reach deep sleep with food in our stomach. Um, and so doing that time restricted eating and then, um, like again, the how, making sure you sit down for meals. So if you can't sit down for that snack, don't eat that snack. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of snacking anyways, but like focus on like the meals that you can actually sit down on, make those a priority. Then if you need a snack, you have to make time to sit down for it. Perfect. Such practical tips. I hope anyone listening, if you have been taking notes, hopefully you have some of the action steps that Alexa shared. That would be really amazing. If not, go back and listen through and kind of pull those out because I think that kind of goes back to what we're saying. It's yeah. Like you said, there's good intentions, but it's about putting it into action. So even if you just start with one thing, I'm all about keeping it simple, just like Alexa is, and that is going to help so much. So I so appreciate you sharing all this. Thanks for the amazing interview. I'm really grateful for the wisdom that you have and 
especially the work that you're doing with women and families, uh, your time for sharing. I truly got a lot of, out of this episode myself, so I hope everyone else did as well. Nay, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for listening, my friend. Are you subscribed to get future episodes? If not, hit the subscribe button to find out when the next one is ready for you. And if you got something good out of this episode, please leave a rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app, which will help more people find the podcast and allow me to continue sharing them with you. You might have even thought of someone who would love this episode and really benefit from it. So if you did, you can easily share it with them by clicking the share button or taking a screenshot and sending it to them. Thanks so much for being here. And until we chat again, remember when wild women wake, mountains will move.